0: Well, you may find yourself living in a Monaco flat and you may find yourself in another part of the world and you may find yourself behind the wheel of an electric automobile and you may find yourself winning a driver's title and a constructor's title and you may find out that you're Antonio Felix da Costa. I'm Stuart Garlick from MotionE And what follows was meant to be a freewheeling chat with Sasky Stewart about the fourth Formula E race in Berlin but turned into a conversation with many strange twists and turns. Welcome along for the ride. This is Berlin Watch. So, um, Sasky Stewart, welcome to the podcast. It's your first time. Uh, Maybe you'd like to... Tell a bit about yourself to um, anyone who doesn't know you.
1: Hi. Well, yes, I am Susie Stewart, as my accent does attest. I am very Australian. I do live in Canada. I am a big Formula E fan, have been since day one, uh, got into motorsports because uh, my first job uh, out of university was uh, technically working for Mark Webber. So I kind of fell in love with motorsports from then on, went into, like, sports media done a bunch of podcasting all the kind of good good things
0: right um excellent and um be- before we get on to the really serious questions that we've got planned how did you enjoy the race and uh, wh- where where were you watching it and um through which device and you know how do you normally consume formula e yeah
1: um so uh normally uh if So in uh, Canada, uh, TSN is their broadcast network that carries Formula E. And it doesn't always carry the race. It doesn't always carry qualifying. It doesn't always carry it live. It can be a little bit up, down. So sometimes I have to pretend that I live in Bulgaria and watch it on YouTube uh, because, you know, you have to do what you've got to do. But luckily through this whole uh, Berlin stint, they've been carrying everything. They've carried practices, which I haven't got up for because they're at 3 a.m., Uh, But they've carried qualifying, they've carried all the races. So normally it's just, you know, me sitting at my actual computer working, streaming it onto my TV. Uh, This morning it was kind of, I had one uh, device that was playing the Formula One qualifying and the one that had the end of the FE, or it's, you know, this and then I had some football on at the same time has been other days. But uh, the kind of one perk of working from home at the moment has been that I've been able to watch all of these kind of races because they are at about 1 p.m. Um, Toronto time, so that's been like I guess a bit of a perk. But uh, obviously, streaming is is how I watch everything. I don't actually know if my apartment has a socket for TV things in it. Um, but today's race, I loved. I really enjoyed it. Like I love it when Formulae gets you know cr- crazy, banana, whatever. Everyone drives into everyone. All that stuff happens. But today's race was just a really good race in the sense of being like you got kind of all of the things you wanted in a a good race and the competition and the overtakes and all of that kind of like stuff without having to be like, oh, it's because everything imploded, you know, so I enjoyed that today.
0: And um, I presume that you um, uh, will want to congratulate, as I will, Antonio Felix da Costa, um, who for me is such a deserving champion, partly because he's been in so many rubbish cars in the past. And it's, it's really not very often that someone who suffers from such bad luck in his career actually gets this dose of good luck. And I, I'm actually thinking that maybe the solution is for formula e to effectively nationalize ds to cheetah so that um, <laughs> and anyone who has a history of uh driving in in uh, in uh, below average cars gets a season to challenge for the title alongside jeff so i'm thinking you know maybe we give a chance to oliver turvey next season what do you think
1: look i'm a am I'm, I'm a big fan of the concepts of spec series in general i just i am and i understand of. Obviously, you know, I watch a lot of F1, I understand the, the attraction of the developing the technology and all of this, but the fact of the matter is when we watch racing, we fall in love with personalities and drivers, and we want them to do well, and they can't all do well, because sometimes the cars just suck. Like, if you've been a fan of, I mean, you know, even like... um. Felix De Costa for such a long time, you've watched them have to come up through that. And I was trying to think of, of drivers that I had seen struggle and being awful to have that opportunity to come up to get to the top to win. But there really isn't even that in um, if you watch F1 because the most that you'll get really is maybe the kid that's coming out of Toro Rosso and going into a Red Bull. It's not really the same. It's, that's a pathway. But I love this story of the fact that um, they were so bad. And he was talking about the fact that he gets. He remembers that first season and getting lapped by the people that he's now standing up in front of because he beat them. That these champions who had just like not disregarded him, but were just like our oh, our car is so much better. We're so much better than you at this right now, and he was able to kind of come up back through it. Um, I think he's such a great um, he's such a great winner and a champion for this championship this year. I think because. And you know, not to speak ill of past champions, and you know, I Jeb is quite an entertaining person, but the previous champions haven't necessarily had the kind of charming, positive personality that someone like um, Antonio Felix da Costa has, and he's just so like, you know, Jack Nichols was getting you know a bit uh, choked up at this. Like, he's just such a guy that you want to see do well, and and particularly if you've watched him from back in Red Bull and you think of the guys that were alongside him even the guys like you know Mitch Evans who were within that kind of program at the same time and then you know he got cut from the program and Alex Lynn got put in the program there's a lot of those kind of guys there but he's kind of come up and kept going and made this and done the work and has actually stayed this really great kind of person throughout all of it so it's one of those really nice like ah, oh, this will make a good lifetime movie kind of scenarios.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. And part of the uh, history of Formula E, obviously, is that uh, it's um, historically not been considered as higher level of motorsport as Formula 1. And so a lot of the drivers who get to Formula E and excel in it, you know, as And Go Green showed um, people for the first time, mm-hmm. some of them, are the people who have not necessarily failed in Formula 1, but haven't quite made it as far as they... W- wanted or thought and like doesn't make them anything less than excellent drivers, but someone like Jeff, someone like Antonio, um, and you can tell that from, from Antonio's answer to uh, Hazel's question in the press conference. Uh, he says, no, I've kind of had my go at getting into Formula 1 and I, I didn't quite get there and I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. So there, it seems there's that sense of satisfaction among most of the Formula E grid that they are where they're supposed to be in life, you know? Yeah, I think,
1: I think that too, uh, in some ways in Asia success things i think if you asked um jev if he wanted to go back to formula one and you asked uh, mitch evans if he wanted to go at it you'd get two very different answers based on how they felt formula e has gone so far for them or where they may have got in the process or or how they felt that they left it um i know when um so uh as we go uh, and we go green premiered at the toronto film festival here um I think it did in Monaco, but then no one ever saw it again, and its proper premiere was here in Toronto. Um, and I had gone along with um, some some friends, and um, what I, I remember from it is that it goes through the whole thing, and then at the end of it, it says, you know, um, as like the sub-notes to it, obviously after it had been filmed and edited, that, you know, John Outburn had been offered a spot with a team, and then it does the pause, and then it does the, like, the next line comes up, and he's like, and he turned them down. And you could hear the crowd be like, like, actually, and, and not everyone here knew what was what the story was. You know, a lot of them were there because Leonardo DiCaprio was there. Like, that was there. But they had built that idea that of, of people wanting to go back to Formula 1 or where it was positioned and all of this. And so when Jev came out after the movie, they bought, um, I want to say they bought Jev, they bought Sam Bird and someone else who stood on the other side of Sam Bird and made him look short, but I don't remember who it was. Um, I think actually they may have bought Degrassi as well. And that was what they wanted to ask him about. They wanted to ask, why did you, why didn't you do it? Why didn't you go? What, you know, what made you stop that? And his answer was very much along, you know, the lines of, um, and Antonio is that like, it wasn't the right offer. It wasn't what I could do here. I don't have anything to prove to them. I'm, I'm happy here. And I think those kind of, the many of the drivers who um, are in the space to say that and be able to say that are, you know, probably a little older and a little bit wiser and have also been there a little bit more to to understand what F1's reality really is in the sense of eat you up and spit you out versus the kind of a little more, um, uh, not softer, but a little like less destructive nature of the formula e-grid unless you're alex lynn who just is just not ever going to have any luck at this rate
0: well yes and uh, alex lynn we will spend plenty of time talking about <laughs> um listeners will be very happy about that um but yeah, Stoffel van Dorn said something very interesting uh, to a journalist, I can't remember who, uh, a while back, because the question was, do you feel that F1 has chewed you up and spat you out? And he said, no, I feel like McLaren did. So uh, yep. he, he was kind of um, saying that he was at peace with not being in Formula One, but also that he was upset about the way that he wasn't given a chance after two seasons, you know?
1: Yeah, if you asked, Um, You know, Kevin Magnussen could be that exact same story because he had that great rookie season and then they shunted him to be the test driver um, for for Fernando Alonso at that point, which, I mean, it's Fernando Alonso, that's what happens. Uh, But I I think there is a good point in that. And I say something similar when I talk to people about um, hockey or, or football. It's like I never have a problem with the sport of hockey or the sport of football because there are a set of rules that put together, but it's what the people within it do. So it's what the teams like McLaren do, or how they've dealt with things and that. And you know, you look at, you um, know someone like Stoffel talking about what McLaren did. It was actually really interesting at the end of um, um, Antonio's, uh, one of his press uh, press moments this afternoon that was still on the broadcast, where he said you know, I need to say thank you to Red Bull, to BMW, to this, to that. The idea of him running through the teams um, that got um, him there, but there was a Uh, an article I read the other day that was him talking about, he's like, you know, I don't see it as Red Bull costing me my chance to be a Formula One driver. If it hadn't been for Red Bull, I wouldn't have come close to that chance in the first place. You know, they made me into these things. So it's very much, um, uh, you know, what builds you up can tear you down um, at their Will and Helmut Marco's discretion. Uh, but I find it, it's, it's a very interesting kind of, uh, yeah. Formula one is a very interesting, um, the dynamic of that and what it does. And when you think about, you know, I think I looked at the list the other day and just just trying to ID how many drivers on the formula E grid had in one part been involved with the Red Bull Racing Academy program. And it was like seven or eight people, maybe I think. And that's like, not half the grid, but that's at least nearly a third of it. That's a considerable amount, and when you you think of that across other teams and and things like that, it's kind of a it's a, it's a very interesting uh, kind of path to follow when psychological like how people deal with it and where they go with it.
0: Yeah. And uh, before we continue to talk about the influence of Red Bull and motorsport, I've, uh, I've, I've just got to uh, bring in a word from the sponsor of tonight's podcast, because um, um, probably, Sasky, you've had experience with many caffeinated energy drinks, and uh, <laughs> some have been more satisfying than others. But um, um, have you ever had the opportunity to try Rich Energy?
1: No, I cannot say I have ever seen that here in Toronto.
0: Right, well, hashtag better than Red Bull, and um, uh, we have a case of Rich. And en- I- I'm joking; we're not sponsored by Rich Energy. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was like, Rich Energy. I'm I pretty sure when I last checked, was being legally dissolved by the British
0: courts. Maybe. Oh ah, well, um, th- so uh, what's what's happened is the the embers of Rich Energy were taken over, and they're now sponsoring a motorcycle team.
1: Did they change their logo so they were no longer in breach of copyright law?
0: Uh, yes, yes, uh, but uh, the um, uh, the um, the kind of clincher to that particular story was uh, last season they sponsored a chap called Rick Parfit Junior's car in British GTs and um, oh yeah I know that name yeah um, well his his dad was status quo's Rick Parfit so I guess uh, he him, mm-hmm. but, but 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 he's also a pretty famous guy in, in his own right I guess but anyway so uh, when uh, Rich Energy um, um, for various reasons, cut their contract with Rick Parfitt Jr. Uh, the company that was suing Rich Energy, White Bikes, stepped in to sponsor his car. So I thought that was tremendous.
1: Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> you that PR that is that is someone with a really solid understanding of how to get PR advising them on that decision. Like that, I appreciate that from a person who works in marketing perspective. Like that is excellent.
0: Yeah. Um, but uh, just coming back to the influence of Red Bull on motorsport, because this is totally relevant because uh, Je- Jev and uh, Antonio and I think several others on Formula E grid have been through the Red Bull junior program. Now, yeah. um, I think it's reasonable to say that if Red Bull did not exist, motorsport would be in a very different shape these days. However, they are such a, I think it's reasonable to say uh, malign influence on the mental health of many of their drivers Um what what to you is the picture that you get of Red Bull and its influence on motorsport in bringing through so many drivers and financing people who wouldn't have been financed? I mean, would that cream have risen to the top without Red Bull? Um, uh, um Or have they, on balance, been a positive influence to sports such as Formula E in actually bringing these drivers as far as they have? I think...
1: I think... Problems not necessarily stemmed from the fact that um they were or weren't bringing people through is it's the fact that for such a long time they were the only real like big strong academy program in that way and they had so many people the amount of people that they put into those programs just didn't really always represent what they could conceivably offer a future for. And obviously it's the same in, you know, uh, football academies, you obviously bringing more people than you're going to um, put forward, but within racing, with the the nature of such a limited seats and that, um, I think some of them are very, uh, you know, just thinking of like, who else is on like, Neil Janney was in the academy at one point. Um, Alex Lin was in the academy at one point. Mitch Evans was in the Academy at one point. Um, I didn't
0: know that. How long was Mitch Evans in the Red Bull Academy for?
1: I think Mitch Evans was there for like a year. Um, And that's the thing. It doesn't always seem like he was, but then there's photos of like the Academy drivers for that year and he's in the photo. So he was kind of there in the sense that at that time, Mark Webber was an active Formula One driver and also Mitch Evans' manager.
0: And he had
1: just come out of winning. I I think it was... I'm not sure if it was before he won GP3 or the season after or sort somewhere in that, um, kind of bracket, I think it may have been the GP3 season, but, um, you know, and even things like, um, so, uh, Alex Lin was one of the, the Academy drivers and he won GP3 and dropped out of the program because he went and signed with, I believe it was Lotus, Renault at the time or something like that, because he was just like this, this is not, I'm never going to get the, this drive, like, I could go and win GP2, and it's still not going to make a difference because Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz are behind me here. It's just not really, you know, worth it. Um, I think it, it's going to be interesting because um, we see now that Red Bull has really pulled back on the number of people in their academy, in part because people don't want to be a, a Red Bull Academy driver nowadays. In the same way, Um, because it does still involve bringing some money, uh, maybe not as much as it would be having to fund certain things, and that it's very depends where you are, depends what you need to bring. But um, at the same time, you know they've seen what's happened to other drivers. They look at you know what happened to Daniel Fiat. They look at what happened to Pierre Gasly. They looked at you know the years Jev did and left, and and how things are contingent on other things, and the fact that Max Verstappen is probably not going anywhere too fast and 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 all of that kind of stuff and so you have people pulling away and you find a point where last year they had to turn back around to alex Albon and say hey you've been gone for a year or two out of our program but we actually need you back because you do hold you know a super license and we don't you know brendan hartley we don't have any other options you're the only person tangentially related to us that has a super license you can kind of see the swing and roundabout of the program. But on the other hand, you're watching Ferrari now trying to build their own program. And I think in F2, at the moment, three of the five or four of the top five F2 drivers are all within the Ferrari Academy program, which means they're going to have Antonio Giovinazzi and three to four other people with a super license for the 2021 season and one seat to to put them in. And so it's such a, academies seem to be such an imperfect art. It's practically impossible. But I think Red Bull's way of handling things in the past from a you know psychological perspective hasn't seemed that great. But at the same time, um, our largest understanding of that comes from Jean-Éric Verne. And, you know, John eric Verne is an interesting character on the best of days. So, you know, you have him and then you have Felix Costa, who's okay with some of it. It's, it's a very interesting scenario.
0: Yeah. And um, I, actually, yeah, the, the, this is an interesting aside, actually, because um, I can understand why Formula One teams such as Ferrari and, well, Renault is is uh, even more pertinent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, have driver academies. But philosophically, they're a, they're a little bit pointless because, okay, if, if you take the example of... Um, Calum the Eilert. renault driver academy the well, most useless thing in the world once so, you sign fernando alonso absolutely but if you take the example of calamari so uh, the ferrari junior driver now he he's been a good uh for, formula two driver ever since he got to formula two um he, he's um he's great in interviews uh, thoroughly nice chap um um, w- um looks good in a ferrari blazer and you know is incredibly vast. everyone looks
1: good in a ferrari blazer i'm just for gonna sure. say that.
0: <laughs> for sure He's not going to get into an Alfa Romeo or a Ferrari. Uh, he might get into a Haas, but that they keep, but they keep re-signing the Rogues Gallery year after year. So, what, what for Callum Islet is he getting from that? Yeah, is is, is exactly. it is is it to signal boost him so that he can get a Formula E or a good WEC seat in the future?
1: Interesting thing to that too is you think of the the last person that kind of graduated out of Ferrari that wasn't Charles Leclerc. To be fair, Charles Leclerc had been with Ferrari, he won F2, he went into Alpha. he went into Ferrari. It's kind of like the dream narrative. But you have Antonio Giovinazzi. He was never a Ferrari driver. It took till he won, not one, he came second in F2 um, by the narrow margin for them to actually be like, oh, okay, I guess we'll sign you to do something for us. He then spent two seasons doing sim driving and test driving and filling in when Pascal Wehrlein flipped a car, I think it was. Hmm. Before, they were like, okay, well, you can have this alpha seat now. And even then, the reason he has an alpha seat now is because Mick Schumacher doesn't have the super license points. If Mick Schumacher had the super license points, Ferrari would have just been like, yeah, like, let's forget anything else. The PR of this is just unbeatable, like, let's go. So it's it's a very, like, the point of their academy, you're like, great, you know, excellent, sure, go ahead. But they're not really. You don't necessarily need it, I guess. And it's not like when you think of um, the Mercedes Juniors, the number one Mercedes Junior still drives in Formula One. You know, they've got a bit of a different approach, kind of to it, or they've gone kind of a uh, quality over quantity. Hmm. Whereas Ferrari has seen at Ferrari and Renault are really seeming to be like, what was the Red Bull playbook? They got, you know, Sebastian Vettel and four world championships out of it. Um, it's quality, it, it's quantity over quality. You know, there's actually, I think there was a meme that went around that I think I just referenced from um, uh, just when they signed Alonso and it was like, how you know, feeling as useless as a, a, uh, a Renault Academy driver and it was just a picture of all of the like young uh, F2 Renault Academy kids and just underneath it, just a picture of Fernando Alonso. I was like, that's really harsh, but that's also very accurate to how it is there right now.
0: So let's play a little game here. Uh, let's Let's imagine that you're... Um, you're doing the Formula E equivalent of F1 career mm-hmm. mode, so you can pick. Um, so let's let's say one uh, experienced Formula E driver and one uh, Formula E rookie. And um, for the Formula E rookie, you can pick from the current Renault and Williams driver academies. So you've got Yu Zhou, you've got Jack Aitken, who's at Williams but was at Renault. You've got Jamie Chadwick, you've got Dan Dictum. um, and um, uh, and and many um, like 90
1: like, 90? <laughs> like so, in my brain for some reason i have this image that he is like far older and then i get very confused whenever i see that he's associated with an academy i'm dan like tickton. oh no yeah for some reason in my head
0: well i i, I think i think dan, dan tickton will forever have the temperament of um a um 19 year old going through things but uh you know oh yeah yeah um so all of those drivers plus many many others um so which senior formula e driver would you pick and which rookie would you pick
1: see like my logic of the logical part of me is like you'd have to go with uh, either of the tea guys really but you're also like okay what would other it's hard because you can't think of like what other people would do if they were given that car like I'm big on Mitch Evans, pretty much also because my mother was a New Zealander. I spent a lot of my life in New Zealand. I'm, like, going to be biased there um, for, like, unfounded reasons. So any of those kind of guys would be my pick if you had a really good car. But probably I'd want to pick an uh, 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 Antonio Felix da Costa because I wouldn't want to be like, let's put Jeb with a young kid learning his way about <laughs> this thing. Like, I just... He's a great driver, maybe not the world's greatest like, mentor slash teammate when you're a new person, like new into um, the-, the field, essentially. As far as a rookie, I was hoping you were going to give me like Formula E rookies because I was like Nick DeVries, but then you didn't <laughs> well, you- give you me ha- that option. You can have
0: Nick, De- Nick DeVries. I can have I- Nick I mean, DeVries I mean, if I mean, he counts I- as a rookie. Yeah. So I-, I just said anyone who's driven in Formula E, so you can have Nick DeVries for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, but is he-, he's- he can't be my rookie. Because he is already in Formula E.
0: Oh no, but you can have him as your Formula E experienced driver, though. No,
1: no, 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 no. He's got to, he's got to learn a few things before we get to that point. <laughs> um, Speaking yeah. of which, if, in, if in, I want to teach, teach a rookie how to make questionable braking decisions and be over aggressive, no. I will hand them to Nick DeVries. However,
0: oh, but by by the way, Nick DeVries and Dan Ticktum—that's the team to go for.
1: Ugh, that's that's a whole lot of something.
0: <laughs> anyway uh, um back to the I, question
1: maybe jack aiken i haven't looked too bad i haven't seen him race an awful lot because i didn't watch a lot of f2 and f3 over the past couple of years my f2 knowledge kind of ends somewhere around the like Pierre Gasly, antonio giovannazzi kind of time frame and then kind of comes back in a little bit after that uh unless it was like george russell because i kind of knew about what he was up to mm. uh but you know Jack Aiken, I've seen, I've seen him race a couple times this year, um, but uh, the kid, uh, Robert Schwartzman, I think his name is, who is oh, in the Ferrari Academy good, program, yeah. he's so good, and it's also hilarious when you realize he's Russian. Yeah. And you, I like see his name, and I'm like, that's right, you're Russian, and then I see him, and I'm like, Robert Schwartzman, and then he starts talking, I'm like, that's right, like. I keep trying to remember, it is him, because there's also another guy whose name sounds super, super Serbian, and then they're like, he's Brazilian. I was like, fair enough.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's Felipe Drugovic, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yes. Hmm. I was like, oh, how is... Okay, fair enough. Yep.
0: Hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, good choices there. Um, I, I was thinking about this, because I, I think for my Formula E team, I... J- Probably try and save a bit on driver contracts so I could actually develop the powertrain. So uh Okay, I, you're
1: getting way too way too no no no. This is like this is like monopoly money time.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, but in Monopoly money you, you sometimes have to buy a hotel in Old Kent Road just to Yes, start but up but, but we didn't
1: we didn't put the we didn't put terms on this. I didn't have to ah, think okay, rationally okay. about this
0: so so if if you were thinking so like if 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 we said okay you've got a pot of money and you have to spend some of it on engineers and whatever would you maybe save money on mitch evans and get brendan hartley instead because he's still a new zealander
1: um i have an ethical objection with brendan hartley's hair so that's like a big problem for me it just really needs no it needs a decent hairdresser and a deep condition um uh, but he's lovely so he can like we can let him get away with it right um it could be there's definitely there is definitely worse sins in motor racing when it comes to hair cough antonio giubinazzi cough um but uh, so i think you, it depends yeah
0: so so you're not a fan of the drivers uh, growing the locks out to pretend they're surfers then
1: well, I think there's a line between, and and don't get me wrong, I really want to know what shampoo and conditioner this Italian kid is using right now because it's very shiny. It's just that there's a lot of it, and it's just very like I haven't had a haircut in 18 months because I made a bet with someone, kind of vibes, and it's a lot.
0: Yeah, it's um... longer
1: than my hair, and, and I'm in like lockdown quarantine still.
0: Well, t- talking of Giovinazzi and as we've got on to this uh, subject of male personal grooming, um, <laughs> as, as I knew we, w- we would this evening, um, I- I've got to say I am super impressed that uh, while sim racing, he appeared to be wearing shorts and showing that his legs were shaven. Um, and that for me shows that we've moved forward as a civilization.
1: Where like if you want to pick who uh, uses cycling as their form of exercise, you pick the dudes whose legs are shaved. And that is Antonio Giovinazzi, that is Alex Lynn, and that is like 50% of the time Mitch Evan. And it's just because that when you come off a bike, it is a lot easier to get gravel and blood out of a leg when it's not embedded in body hair. Uh, And so it's just kind of one of those, you're like, excellent, like, man grooming, but also just congratulations on being sensible because that hurts.
0: Yeah, um, I I just don't see why, um, I I just don't see why men don't spend a little more time on, um, you know, just feeling better about themselves. uh, Because shaving your legs
1: takes a lot of time. Like, that's a lot of effort. So,
0: like. <laughs> so 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 pe- pe- people think oh well um i um who, who's who's going to appreciate any of this you know if if i grow a beard if i grow my hair long who's going to appreciate this you don't do it for anyone else you do it for yourself of course you know this but like i, I mean feel, it's I, like a 50 50 right okay but I, I feel like men are just slowly coming on to this idea that you don't have to be like man from 1970s catalog anymore you know yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, you're like I can upgrade from generic lumberjack to lumberjack chic hipster with a man butt.
0: Well, exactly. You can, you too, can look like Justin Timberlake on the Man of the Woods album.
1: But having said, like, look, if the whole world universally, universally agreed, regardless of gender, that shaving legs was stupid, I'd be all over that idea because it takes too much freaking time. I'm like, every time I see the like Giovanni or or Lin or someone like that, I'm like, wow, congratulations, good work. Like, you definitely have more effort than than I'm willing to put in right now. Have fun with that. I'm going to just wear leggings.
0: So, um, (laughs) Sasuke, one one thing that I knew about you before I invited you on the program is that uh, you put feminist in your Twitter bio and... for for that reason I really don't want listeners of this podcast to think that I've invited a woman on the podcast um who puts feminist in her Twitter bio and then spent um most of the podcast talking about male grooming options because oh it, <laughs> you know it, it no it it, it would it, w- it would make it seem like I'd chosen you as a tokenistic choice and I really haven't
1: no I- one of those things though where you're like i'm asking you this because you seem like someone that may actually have something to contribute with an opinion on that because mm. i visibly have opinions on that i mean fashion and style has been part of my career in the past and it's something that i super love and i'm super opinionated about i on did not know show. that i did not yeah know that. no um i uh have i mean my career's a there's been a, <laughs> there's a, a lot of sport and a lot of you know and i say you know uh feminist on it too, because I come from a really strong background working in women's professional sport. And that's a big part of it too, you know, but I'm very much one of those, like, this is what it feminism means. It doesn't mean um, that I suddenly don't appreciate other things. It's just more that I'm like, Hey, you know, what would be really great. For me not to be watching another racing series of twenty four dudes racing in a circle after I just watched a series of twenty dudes racing in a circle and I'm about to watch a series of forty dudes racing in a circle. Like that's really more where my like concerns come from and feminism, rather than like, do I find this, this and this? Because I can give you an itemized list of the yay and nays on any grid going around, and I'm fine with that
0: okay because um, I I feel like uh, motorsport still has a long way to go in terms of um, in terms of civilization but also other sports and that the, um, yeah. the, the, the reason I think it's moving forward or at least there are forces pushing it forward in terms of uh, being inclusive in terms of being um, uh, be, being less specific toward towards uh, the straight male um, uh, designation is that um, you like when I when I was a kid uh, I used to read a lot of motor racing magazines and generally the people writing about motor racing were people like and you know I, I like Nigel yep. Roback very much but it was people like him Joe Sayward Mike Dudes and sort of those people who had very specific views on uh, men and on women and on society and would and would tell you those uh, and would associate best with drivers uh, like Mario Andretti who, who is very very rep- Republican, for example. So Mm -hmm. there was all that there was all that going on. Whereas now, you know, um, I am like, uh, obviously, I've um, I'm um, one of my uh, friends and uh, someone I admire greatly for her writing is Hazel Southwell. And um, I love Hazel. Hazel is great. She's awesome. Uh, and um, also, I've been really impressed with the way that uh, Dre Harrison has grabbed, if you like, the mantle yep. of um, educating other motor racing writers about diversity recently. So gray, there, also there, <laughs> there, there are all these influences in motor racing, um, kind of telling people that it can be different and it can be better. Yeah. And here's how. Um, do you feel that yourself and do you think motor racing will become a better sport for for example uh, people who don't consider themselves straight or don't or don't wish to identify with a particular gender that kind of thing
1: yeah um as a preliminary recommendation if you are ever able to get hold of it yourself or anyone who is listening there's a really great documentary called um hurley uh don't know if it's it's not on a netflix in canada but it's on a streaming service um i saw it at the uh inside out which is the toronto uh lgbt sports uh, film festival it's about a guy called uh hurley hayward who was uh a like uh, IMSA's... yeah i was gonna say imsa but i think it maybe had a different name at the time but he was one of the best ever and and basically it talks about um his journey hiding who he was and how long it took and he had had a partner for like 20 or 30 years and the lengths that they went to to hide and his partner watching him win through a fence because he couldn't go and and things like that um and i was really lucky you know when you get to go to a lot of these these festival things that we would have that they people would come and speak and he came in at the end and and he'd be in his 80s and he spoke about what it meant for him to be able to tell this story and he was going the next week to an IMSA race to be the grand marshal and everybody knew the story now and and how that changed his experience and changed these things and um it was a deeply moving thing to watch just because you think of like 10 years earlier, this, this might not have been made. Um, I think in, uh, racing, like in every sport, um, less so in women's sport, because many of these battlefronts were never battlefronts for women's sport. They were just another day at the office. Um, there was different battlefronts, but, um, a lot of them are, uh, you know, we, we, lgbt community is, is not um an outlier necessarily that we uh think of in that way it's just kind of part of our of our community in that sense um but in things like motorsports uh i do think that they will get better because they are getting better each single day that a little bit of something changes another person has a less shitty opinion they make another little program they do this they do that they're not getting it right but it's better i think that's that's kind of the the conversation is that um unfortunately we want to fix it all at once we want them to have a better representation of this a better representation of that we want to have more women we want to see the programs that they're doing are better and i think you know holding them accountable for when they're not right is really strong but i think there is at least a positive in the idea that where we are now is is it leaps and bounds ahead of where we were a year ago where we were 5 years ago where we were 10 years ago from the the pure perspective of of gender itself um i'm not entirely sure that um uh i feel like in some ways that that may be the one of the last parts that kind of shifts because it's so much of a thing um uh the, the layers in which it's built and where it comes from and where it um it's not as simply as saying, you know, if someone turned around tomorrow and went, Hey, we're not going to fill you know, Sergio Perez's seat at racing point. We want to put a girl in there. There isn't a woman who holds a super license. As far as I'm aware, you know, there is, there, there isn't someone that they could do that to because they haven't been given the opportunities from the ground up. um and, and so that's, you know, a whole nother discussion, but, you know, I'm both completely pro and completely against the W series. I'm pro for it in a totally practical sense. I can, that completely makes sense for me in a like real emotional theoretical sense. I'm like, come on, like racing is one of the few sports where men and women can theoretically compete in an equitable basis because some of the dynamics of size, um, aren't, uh, as, um, much of a factor. But the, the the realistic fact of that is even with that that doesn't really uh it doesn't really make a difference which you, you know a, a susie wolf can tell you a simona d Silvestre can tell you you know any of them can kind of tell you that those realities aren't um you know there. but there there is some interesting um there is some interesting ones i think uh and they 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 are getting better because they've at least realized it's something that they need to do unfortunately um their execution of some of them is still going to need people like us or other people to be like, Hey, that's, there's some flaws here. You know, the, uh, the Ferrari, uh, thing, I guess that they're doing where, um, they're I can't remember the exact details at the beginning of it, but basically the idea of it is, um, they want to get down to like two, two female drivers into their Ferrari Academy and, they will have an opportunity to get a F2 or F3 seat or a Formula Renault for like, it was something along those lines. But it wasn't, we'll go through this process, we'll pick two female drivers and we'll put them in this program. It's we'll pick two drivers and then maybe we'll give them the chance, but it builds a ground for them to say, well, we just decided you weren't good enough and there'd be no defense to it. Hmm. So um, it's, There's a lot more being done than there used to be, and I think there will be a lot more because the voices of people like, you know, Susie Wolf, uh, particularly in Women in Sport, you know, um, the voices of people like Charlie Martin when it comes to the LGBT community, they're not going to shut up anytime soon, and that's great. And I think that's only going to be better for the rest of us kind of going forward
0: um charlie martin and simona to silvestro have both been on this podcast by the way so if anyone is interested in listening I've, back
1: i've never had the joy of interviewing uh, simona i did get the chance to speak to charlie once and just was such a fascinating fascinating interview
0: oh she is and um uh, the the, um, the uh, lengths that she went to to uh, try and raise the sponsorship to race in the Michelin Among Cup last season was, um, I think, inspirational to anyone who's ever tried to crowdsource anything uh, yeah. and anyone who's ever yeah. tried to get their own project off the ground.
1: Yeah. Yep. Mm. I, re- I ran uh, half of a professional women's sporting league for two seasons. I know all about that kind of sponsorship money fun. Like, can we do this? I'm like, no. Does anyone got any money? Nope. <laughs>
0: well, how much um, is the
1: budget? Nothing.
0: Maybe uh, in the off season, we ought to have a podcast about motorsport sponsorship because I, I know uh, uh, Jess Shanahan of of uh, Racing Mentor yeah. is very keen to come on at some point. So maybe we could do a roundtable about that.
1: I can talk about sports sponsorships and sports social media and sports PR until the cows come home.
0: Well, so thankfully um, I
1: don't ca- have to anymore. But yes, I can.
0: Well, so, so in that case, obviously you're an avid consumer of Twitter, like I am. I, I, I sometimes oh. think I I I, oh, I, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I I sometimes feel like I think in Tweet Deck these days. Um, so, honestly,
1: I don't even have Twitter on my phone. Oh, anymore. really?
0: Okay. All yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. It. It. I. I made the decision that I was like, I'm going to be a bit more cognizant of like how I'm using this because um, because I use it professionally um and i spend so much time in it between you know the hours of eight to six in a day um i like tried to make the choice to be like adult during lockdown to be like maybe just something else so it's been an interesting exercise because it's definitely still in my uh, chrome browser on my phone it just doesn't have an app
0: <laughs> right but which formula e teams and drivers do you feel have done something clever with social media
1: Look, I, I really like, um, I, I miss, uh, now I'm trying to think he was with Jaguar. This guy called, I want to say his name is Joseph Jones, who used to be at, I want to say Jag maybe. And I think he's now with Ferrari who, um, I, I love any team with a really good photographer, right? Because particularly most of what I engage with is Instagram. What I see there is, um, really, uh, I love a good dynamic image. I love the kind of like great interactive highlights packages when they can put them together and they customize them for the platform. I think those are really great. Um, I think uh, Mahindra does a good job of just trying to like continuously actively engage with people. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, it can be really hard because there's almost like so only so many um I it's not that there's only so many ideas that you can get, but with the nature of what a Formula E season looks like, you know, I've come from working in hockey. I would see my players in some form or another five to seven days a week, every week for seven months, you know? And you were seeing them for morning skate you were seeing them for pre-game they were playing a game there was post-game there was practice days so the kind of different ways that you could build and gather content and the things you could do with that are in a way like quite different um because you've got everyone in the one place you've got a lot more you're not traveling as much you know it becomes uh, quite uh difficult uh though for a for a uh, a recommendation, though, by the way, at, that is outside of FE is uh, the Bayern Munich Football Club actually does some really good social media. If someone is ever like looking at that, um, they've done a really great way of thinking, and this is such a Formula E thing too that their audience exists in multiple countries, in multiple languages, in multiple time zones, and kind of done a really good job of delivering on those fronts as well as the god awful number of platforms that there obviously is nowadays um and kind of find that balance between every the imagery being good but it being a little bit about their personality I think for fans and Effie does such a good job of this compared to um F1's got a lot better like the last like F1 before Liberty Media and F1 now are two very like different entities when it comes to the social space um and in in F1 McLaren is like the clear leader in this both with themselves and the work that um Henrik I'm going to say Regan is his last name, does for them. um, They want to see what these drivers are like behind the scenes. And it really just takes an iPhone and those kind of conversations. Um, But it's also super dependent on um, do you have a social media person or is your social media person also your communications person who's also your press officer, who's also... You know, and particularly right now, we've seen a lot less kind of stuff coming through during the the lockdown because with the restricted number of people able to attend, they've had to multitask people with specific jobs. So it's 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 changed the nature of some of the content that they may be used to create and used to distribute because they simply don't have the on ground manpower to capture it um, in in the way that they would. You know, like um, I think F one each club is only allowed uh, each team is only allowed one video slash photo person at the track that's it most normally they they'd have multiples so it's kind of the locked the um quarantine lockdown covid scenario um has kind of changed a lot of uh, that stuff but anytime someone comes up with something created on social i'm like yes because you kind of get to a point where you're like i think i've seen everything that can be done by now and then it's always good when um when they come up with something roles will be the next one now that that's on instagram it'll be who adopts tiktok and who adopts roles and who does it well um antonio felix da costa would be very good at tiktok i think like he'd be um, all about that
0: i am kind of surprised he's not already on tiktok he seems like the kind yeah. of guy he would be
1: like he definitely you'd be like hey i need you to do this dance so i can film you and he'd be like yeah <laughs> he would be like yes that makes so- sense
0: so as we've, as we've looped, looped back around to the Formula E drivers, I'm going to segue into asking you what it is about Alex Lynn's story that makes him appear <laughs> as a person to you.
1: Um, look, uh, as far as Formula E goes, uh, Mitch Evans and Alex Lynn are probably uh, my two favourite drivers, and i followed them since they were GP3 and GP2 drivers. Oh. Could I tell you exactly how I started following Alex Lynn? No. If someone else knows how I did, I would love to hear the story because I don't remember. Um, I think I just was like, hey, this is a very tall white Englishman who looks awkwardly out of place in this scenario. Excellent. I appreciate that. Um, and, yeah, you know, I like I liked watching him drive. Uh, uh, I like a good Aston Martin car and that Aston Martin paint job. It's the, it's the little things in life, really. Um, mm. uh, to be fair, it was also he had a really good Instagram account for a while there. I mean it's still okay, but like there was a there was a period there of like dating a fashion blogger, so we just had some good photos that I appreciated. Really? Um okay. Yeah. And it's very good hair. That's yeah. basically it. None of this is about driving. I'm like, yeah, sure, honey, you qualify amazingly well. I'm glad for you. If we could just do it in a race, that would also be super. I don't wanna have to watch you get dumped for a third time in like mm. two and a half seasons. Like I would I would appreciate that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you, you always have uh, pretty much every athlete that I'm like, this is an athlete that I like has zero logical explanation and generally has nothing to do with the way that they play hockey or the way that they drive a car or something like that. You know, otherwise it would all be Lewis Hamilton fans because he's amazing at the you know, core job of driving an F1 car. Same with like Jev and hmm. well, Lucas Degrassi on a good day um but yeah it it makes you know very little sense uh also I find Essex as an entity just hilarious because I'm from um country Australia and obviously we don't sound like Essex but there is just some general kind of cultural attitudes that are regionally specific that I can understand the idea of because there is some things from where I am from um, language and speech patterns and attitudes to things that are just super regionally specific. Which, if Ooh. you watched Too Hot uh, Too Hot to Handle, you would know because that Australian is from my hometown.
0: Oh, right. Um, that's the that's um, the one who. Um, so, uh, for for any listeners, I haven't
1: are... seen it. I haven't seen it actually. <laughs>
0: Right, so for for any listeners who are confused uh, and uh, thought they were tuning in from Motorsport Podcast, too hot, to, too hot to handle is a Netflix series uh, where people are supposed to uh, stay on an island for several weeks and uh, some somehow uh, not um, have relations with each other. Which um, for, for for anyone who knows me, they they'd know I wouldn't find terribly difficult. I'd just uh, go yeah. off the corner and um, you know I I just go off to the corner and read the Athletic for five weeks. I'd be fine. But uh, um, so um, it, it's it's an interesting series, but um, there is one person stroke character from Too Hot to Handle, which caught my attention because, well, his name's David Burtwistle. He's from Essex <laughs> and um, he he looks and in fact, it's convinced me that there are parallel universes within this world because he looks like he is alex lynn from a parallel universe and i'm sure he is
1: uh, it makes me believe that there's really only like four variations of essex and that you have to fit into one of these four variations um i mean i actually haven't seen the tv show but um i do believe that there is an australian in it because i think my mum sent me the front page of the local newspaper when we still had a newspaper Um, and it was there was an Australian in it and he is from our town and they were proud about it and it was very okay well I guess that's what we do now
0: watching these drivers and being at several degrees of remove from them um, does make you think well what would they be like in a slightly different working environment so for example um, I I see Jean-Eric someone is
1: always someone is always a barista
0: Exactly. So I see jean eric Verne as a racing yeah. driver and uh, I hear him speak. And I think uh, existential French novelist stroke, miserablest filmmaker. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Um, Very I,
1: bad psychotherapist.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, I see Antonio Felix da Costa and I think uh, Portuguese tennis academy coach.
1: He'd also be like the world's greatest, like primary school PE teacher because he'd just be like so excited about everything but also wouldn't get mad at the fact that all of these six-year-olds are useless
0: yes absolutely um which which formula e-driver is most likely to be a good substitute history teacher do you think
1: alex sims
0: oh yes definitely i
1: didn't even have to pause on that one (laughs) yeah my um, brain just went which is the one with glasses that one
0: (laughs) The, the the thing that is interesting about Alex Sims is in, in his, manner, his mannerisms and the way he speaks on the radio and the way he's interviewed, um, he just seems so removed from uh how racing drivers are quote unquote expected to be. He he doesn't he he doesn't engage that much on social media except on things he was already yeah. interested in. Uh, he's he, he's he's never going to pull a TikTok prank on his teammates. Uh, so that he he knows that and he's fine with that and he's
1: comfortable with that and that's just who he is.
0: Yeah, he's he's just a really nice guy who likes his barn and likes his BMW i3 and runs a charity and I think Look, that's lovely.
1: I would like a barn, <laughs> like.
0: Well, yes, yes. I but... live in a
1: basement, so if I had a barn, I'd be all about that life too.
0: Hey, listen, it's twenty twenty. We all live in basements these days. Um, yes,
1: yes, but it is an actual basement. <laughs>
0: oh okay okay but uh no i, I mean he um he, he chooses to live in i think a converted barn in surrey rather than going to monaco or something so there's something to be said for that
1: yeah i think um i think that's it's also one of those things to be like okay where's I, I i'm always interested in in knowing what is the line um uh, just from a monetary sense, where it's more economical to go to Monaco once you equate in less tax, but these more expensive, and what that looks like versus, because obviously we think about Formula One drivers, we know they're making a reasonable ish amount. Um, and by that I mean like generally bare minimum four to five hundred thousand and up. I'm just thinking of who the like bottom of the tier is, and I'm like, it's Tony Um and, and that, but like what that line is uh, for. The rest of them I always find very, um, very uh, interesting. Like Mitch Evans is living in Monaco, but I'm like, okay, you know, you've got Brendan Hartley is in Monaco. Dothel's in Monaco. Uh, What's that kind of uh, balance? But yeah, I always find that very interesting. It was one of those funny things at the start of the season. Um, We'd obviously kind of expected that it was just going to be, you know, Alex. we'd assumed it was that, you know, various different people had said to me, um, journalist people on that that this is what was happening and I was like cool I believe you excellent and then it got like seven days out and six days out and then the same person came back and was like actually I think there might be there might be a problem and then it was like someone has spotted James Collado testing a Jaguar in here and I was like I have a feeling that this is not going to go how I want this to go and I think what had also happened is Uh, for me is that i forgot that they were doing the announcements i'd accepted it was happening forgotten gone to bed because it was about three in the morning our time woken up picked up my phone and then got mad about it again like i didn't know that it was already happening um made my peace at it and then the season just was it just really didn't go in his favor um Mm. and uh and it was also, you know, we weren't sh- I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, I don't know how long this deal is or what's happening. And obviously, we know now that, you know, you have you know, uh, Sandberg coming in and this and that. And you have, you know, he's going back to weck and all of that. But it was one of those things where as it was progressing, I kind of was just like, yeah, like, there, there, honey, you'll get to the end of this. It's OK. And then, you know, you can you can leave the Matrix now. And go back to the regular world of, that being said, my favourite moment of the whole, like, James Collado to Jaguar scenario was, um, and it wasn't Le Mans, but it, because that didn't happen, um, it was one of the other four or six hours earlier this year. I can't quite remember uh, where it was. And it was, was, uh, he was in the Ferrari and Alex Lynn was in the Aston Martin. And it just got a little too personal um mm. in the middle of this wec race. And it basically is like these two in their um, you know, GT pro cars mm. like sides like side driving into each other around this track, trying to like like half shove each other off but not oh shove each Lord, other really? off and be like and it was like it was it was it was good it was really good racing, right? Like it was really, really good racing. But it was also that part where you were like, This is like you know that there's just a little bit more of a personal, like, I need to beat this other person going both ways in this specific situation. I think they were only on the track at the same time, maybe like once or twice. And I think in the end, Kalado did come out ahead, obviously being the far more experienced um, WEC, you know, sports car driver, but it was still very like, well, this is funny and it's Jaguar's fault and no one is going to win here. Like, this is not good for anybody. Uh, but um, it'll be interesting. I'm super interested to see from that perspective what um, that team looks like with Sam Bird next year. I like, I rate Sam Bird a lot. I just think he seems like a really good human being in general. Uh, but it'll also be interesting to see what it looks like when you have Kim and Mitch Evans in a team because maybe, obviously, Jaguar is not writing a cheetah, but you have two guys who see themselves as the number one, the mm-hmm. undisputed number one. And like, it's you know they're not John Eric Vern levels of you know, but they're not exactly un-egotistical, either of them. So no, it will be interesting. It'll be good, but it'll be interesting.
0: The the, the reason I have reservations about Sam Bird to Jaguar is, is not because I don't think Sam Bird is a great driver because I do. I mean he's he he's he's been he's been in that top tier of Formula E drivers since the start. It's because. Okay, when, when you have an individual who's been very strongly associated with a particular working environment and with a particular team in sports and has um, has gone through the thick and thin with that particular organisation, it's very rare that they can step out of that and go into a completely different way of working and yep. prosper even more. The examples I'd give would be... Um, Anton, uh, Anton, Gri- Antoine Griezmann. Sorry, to Barcelona. Oh yeah, because that's
1: going so well for him.
0: Absolutely, uh, and he's so strongly associated with uh, Diego Simeone's old-fashioned tough guy Atletico Madrid, and also, uh, um, if you remember that far back, Angel Di Maria to Manchester United. It's that kind of idea for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that makes, and I think that's like, I think, I think that's interesting because, um. When you think of it in a football context, the nature of football and the stylistic element of how they play a game is is obviously so different between different places. At the end of the day, Sam Bird is still going to get in a Jaguar and drive it like he's always driven a car. The car itself will be obviously a different car, and the and the proce- but it will be so much about how he can adapt, I guess, to that process of working with different people. I would say. I think there was a good. Um, there was actually a quote from Antonio Felix da Costa today when he was talking about when he started at Cheetah and was like, you won't outwork these guys. Like, I got through my first week and was like, oh, I understand why you guys win things. It's like, because I'm still here. And, and that made me think, you know, as you said, like the differences between teams. I think thinking of a lot of the kind of top-tier guys, he is probably the one most likely to be able to make that adjustment based just on what i would perceive as his kind of personality versus you know uh a burn or degrassi or Boeni or or one of those kind of guys um but it it will be interesting to see how that uh works because he's you know he's been there for since day one right he's been there (laughs)
0: forever he's he's one of only three drivers to have driven in every single formula e race was were
1: they they saying
0: today who are the other two uh, the the other two were um Lucas Degrassi and Daniel Degrassi. Apt. My, my history with Daniel Apt is only uh one interview and uh he, he came across um as so much more engaging on non motorsport related topics than any yeah. of the other drivers because yeah. um I I think genuinely he has a field of vision which is much wider than the other drivers. That's my opinion. I think anyway.
1: that's what um I think that's something that you also see in like um Lewis Hamilton what he can engage with you on as far as the scope of topics to talk about outside of racing and what he has those interests in is so broad and there's such depth there. Um, in, sp- in in hockey, I always, I always kind of explain it as the differentiation between someone who is a hockey player and someone who plays hockey. Like There's that kind of self-identification there about what they determine is the essence of them and it's whether it's something that is them or a thing that they do. And that kind of changes what their kind of viewpoint of the world and the other things in it at the same time.
0: Yeah, and um, I I think maybe um, if if we're to pick from sport in general – the, the impression i got from daniel apt was similar to reading through the book i was reading about pep guardiola in that uh, uh pep guardiola is also pep. someone who if he was asked a question about uh you know uh quantum physics or the uh tactics of phil jackson at the at the um at the la lakers or something he um or the chicago bulls um he he wouldn't sort of say that's a relevant question about football please he would answer it and i feel yeah. like i feel like i feel like there are those sports participants who are interested in speaking around the game rather than just about the game.
1: No, no, I I agree with you that there. there's definitely you know hockey here. It's so known for um these real kind of like one note cliche. We got pucks in deep. There's multiple ways to win a game. There's only one way to win a game: score more goals than the other team. It's the only way. Like all of the. These kind of like very stoic cliches this is what they talk about and then teams reinforce that they try so hard to keep the message for the fans on about the players and then playing the game and this and that that particularly when social media has come in and tried to broaden that a little bit it's there's been that pushback but the actual culture of the sport as it's built these people up they haven't expanded their knowledge they haven't been exposed to these things they haven't been um taught that curiousness for things beyond this because it didn't necessarily serve their interest in that way Um, and i think that sport in general really um suffers i guess or, or loses out in the sense that uh it's uh it's not exposed to a broader picture and that kind of can show with the attitudes and the ways they like the NHL is absolutely mangling their response to black lives matter. Absolutely mangling in part because the demographic of the people that are in charge of it doesn't align necessarily with the people who sh- could be in charge of it, but also because they're not necessarily as a, a playing body exposed to a lot of these alternate information or education or viewpoints or, or various things. And I think, um, I think that's universal across a lot of sports um, and it, it is sad, but, you know, guys like Lewis and as you said, you know, Daniel Abt who can kind of bring even a little more, even if it's not serious stuff to a table is always, it makes interviewing them a little more interesting.
0: Well, and he, here's the thing. Um, if you've got 10, 15, if you're lucky minutes with, with a racing driver, um, Almost every question about uh, whether or not they can win the championship or how their powertrain development is going has already been asked. So um, I I actually think... um, And the answers
1: are yes and good, I guess
0: yeah so um and this is a bit this is a bit kind of uh, navel gazing and inside baseball but i i would say as a writer um establishing a good working relationship with the driver by asking them a bit about driving is good but at the same time um, showing that you're interested in them as people actually can sometimes get you the follow-up interview that can be even more interesting do you know what i mean
1: I always just want people to ask them what the last book they read was just because you'll either get a really good answer or you'll just get someone standing there staring at you being like, shit, what was the last book I read quite a long time ago? And you're like, I'm just putting you into two pools right now. There you are. Done.
0: Yeah. Um, On a positive PR note, I I would say... uh, (laughs) I, I say, I say,
1: I will say doing PR when you are within a sports team is a very different concept than doing PR when you're dealing with an individual athlete because what you're trying to protect is very different and how it functions is a very uh is it's kind of a different ecosystem too. Hmm.
0: Um but I, I would say DS Cheetah have handled incredibly well uh the quite obvious rift between uh Jean-Eric Verne and Antonio Felix De Costa because I I've, after the first race um uh, it, it felt like a uh, watershed. It felt like Hamilton Rosberg twenty fourteen, this friendship is over, there's no way back. And I'm pretty sure that uh if you um if you didn't have uh the cameras and the TV and the interviews uh then maybe um maybe it would still be that case but I I feel that they have either specifically for the cameras or maybe also in reality they've managed to bury that and I, I don't think unless you've got good leadership as a team and the ability to get people together and solve these problems instantly but also to show to the public that the problem has been solved I don't think you can get that really can you? No
1: I think um I think when we think about I mean, one of the things that makes Mercedes great is obviously they're they're very smart, they have the money, they have the technology, but Toto Wolf understands people very well and understands balancing those dynamics between people, not just his drivers, but there's different parts of his team. And I think we see that when we look at Tachita. You obviously have come from last year where you have Jev and Andre Lotterer, who are just whatever it is that they were last year. And you know, Andre didn't really upset the apple cart that much as far as like Jeb's position. Um and so you kind of gotta be like knowing, okay, that this this might happen, or you be prepared for that. But you do, you do have to deal with that. And I think um the good thing or the, the thing that Tachita do have working for the advantage is this kind of situation wasn't really exactly going to come at them unknown. So they've had time to think a little bit about it and honestly like pre-plan, but have an understanding of like maybe the groundwork that, that, that they could lay or how they were going to really approach this. And um, I think also, uh, you know, maybe a couple years ago, Jev would handle this differently. I think obviously he's had this, you know, whatever with um, Antonio, but it's still a little bit more mature than it might've been in the previous years. Um, and I, I also, I was thinking, I was like, I don't know if it's necessarily like, um, uh, a blow-up between, between Jev and Antonio Felix da Costa. It's, I love how none of us could actually just call him Antonio half the time. We have to use like all of his names. Like It just doesn't sound right. You just can't be like, Antonio. You're like, nope, all of them. Uh, I think it's more like this blow-up of Jev in the direction of Antonio Felix da Costa or because of Antonio Felix da Costa. Because, I mean he's obviously a pretty easygoing guy and he's winning. Like he's not really concerned that Jev's mad because he's not winning. He's like, okay, like this is how it happens. Whereas obviously you're trying to balance that part where Jev is uh, not, not getting what he wants in this and that. And I also think the kind of resolution that they appear to have come to today or the kind of attitude today very much comes from the fact that there was a point where this was just a done deal this was just going to happen and he could either get on board with it and help finish the thing and not whatever and alienate a b or c or he could Kim in in the first race when there's still part of him that's like i can challenge for this i can do this i can do that i mean not really but let's not ask racing drivers to logically assess their like realistic chances of things um but there's a difference between him trying to deal with that in race one where he still has this vision of what can be and him coming into race four where he's like, well, it's basically done, so I better make myself look good now too. Like, there's that. And if I'm, if I'm you know, the head of Tachita, that's also another thing I'm reminding him. Like, hey, you know, and in a subtle way, like, but if you play this wrong, you're going to look, like, very bad. And there's a certain amount that you don't care about that but there is a certain amount of you that does. And so this is just how it's going to be. And, and you saw him like at the end of it. He was obviously, uh, you know, there was a good part, I think at the end of it where he was interviewed and he, he was like, one second, he turn around and I can't kind of, like remember exactly what he yelled. It was like, come here, buddy or, or something like that. And like hmm. uh, Antonio like runs and then just jumps on him. And, and, and he, they asked him about, you know, him. And uh, he's like, look, Antonio's not going to be Andre. Like, what he- Andre and I had was like special. And we're like, every- everyone is like, uh huh. Yep. Correct. Um, really. Uh, he's like, but, you know, he did this and we did that and we're good and I'm proud of him and yeah. And he said all the right things, you know. And, but I think after watching as we go green and watching this Jeff, they feel like different kind of human beings. Uh, yeah. But it also does make you really like, the key to that to thing is is that the... uh, Mark, Mark Preston is that's the name correct right? Yes, yes. Yeah, he's managed to figure out how to balance that, you know, or at least stop them both catching on fire at the same time, you know. Uh, and and it, it can't be easy because you know, cheetah it's taken him a long time, and but he's also you know, or well, jeb has been there a long time, but also. No, he's known Antonio since his first days in in racing, um, mm-hmm. in Formula E. So he's done a really good job. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see like the next two races, simply because they've won everything. It's basically just like, let's, you know, set it on fire, do whatever. Let's go. Um, and so to see what happens, at that point, I mean, part of me does want them to drive into each other, so we just get like a red bull mercedes kind of moment or some like multi-21 action but i don't know yeah. if the if the broadcast booth could handle that without actually just bursting a blood vessel in in their neck maybe
0: yeah two, two points uh related to that and also uh and we go green um and we go green um obviously as we both know captured a particular point in Jeff's life where he was still um, he 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 was still recovering from the death of his yeah boyfriend.
1: that it, it that was that was so rough um, and
0: um a, yeah. and I I cannot imagine and I hope I never have to go through a situation where I see my best friend die and then lose my job instantly afterwards. I would find that soul crushing, and I can't. I almost can't believe that he's come back from it, and if you like been as good as he was, maybe better.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think sometimes I, I, I also think about, you know, obviously um, sometimes I wonder how Charles Leclerc managed to do what he does after losing obviously Jules, who was so important to him and whose footsteps he's essentially taken over and his father in that time period at that key kind of thing. And then you see like someone like Jeff who sees this happen and does and all of that. And it's just, you're like, cool there are some like there is a there is a testament to some aspects of the human spirit for lack of a better term that can be not actually indestructible but that you can figure out a way to functionally do something while you feel like that and it's it's that that whole segment of the um the uh the documentary is is a lot and and if if you haven't seen it and you do intend to watch it i will uh Caveat warning: It that there is obviously a uh, segment video element of it that is the Bianchi crash from an yes. angle that I have never seen up close in a way that I don't think you want to see. And unfortunately, um, I saw it in a cinema, mm. um, unprepared, and it was it was a lot. Um, it's it's yeah. probably it's probably a little less on um, TV. Uh, uh, it was actually. Rel- related to that, I found an old conversation the other day, a chat log, and I was talking to someone, and it was the 2014 Japanese Grand Prix. And I was talking to them, and it was only capturing my side of the conversation for some reason. And I was obviously giving updates of what happened in the race. And it was like, something has happened. Sutil has binned it. And then the next one was like, oh, there goes Bianchi as well. And then six seconds later, my computer logs off. And I saw it the other day and was like, Wow, that seems just I was like, yeah, that's like I hadn't seen it since then. I hadn't remembered that. And I was like, oh, and it brought me back to watching, you know, um, uh, and we go green and that, that mm. conversation and, and Jeff handled that conversation really well. Um, like he handled that uh he he, he spoke about it very well and, and but you could obviously see it was something that is and will always be something that he won't and he no nor should he. You know ever um get over um and and i think there is something in that contrast between that depiction of him and, and now as someone who obviously you know maybe hasn't got over it but has found more peace with other things and settled yeah. into other things and into himself and isn't fighting a variety of things isn't fighting against f you know one is isn't fighting his own you know self-image and and those kind of things um so i think that's uh
0: yeah yeah um, so I I, I think um, the impression I got from the film was that Jev and his dad both knew that uh, you know John Eric Fern had the potential at that stage to become one of the best racing drivers in the world, and uh, that all they needed was someone to believe in him and allow him the uh, time and space to show that. And I think that now that he's done that, and I I think I, I don't think anyone would dispute that he's in kind of you know the top. I I I'll be generous. The top ten racing drivers in the world in all categories. Um, now that he's he's proved that, I I can see he's a bit more at peace with allowing someone else to come into the team that he holds a minority shareholding in, and yeah. well outperform him over the course of a season.
1: I think it's I think it's that idea where you're like he's never been like oh I'm okay if someone comes in and outperforms him because none of them will ever be they they're not those people. But he's more capable of dealing with that situation if it arises. You know, he's more in a position where that happening isn't going to ruin everything else. It doesn't become the you know bomb that clears out everything else that that exists. It's like, well, that sucked, and I'm going to beat him next year, or I'm going to like that sucked, but I also have two world you know two titles, and this doesn't, this is not everything. This does not define me. Like it's a little bit. His, his world picture has broadened a little from the idea of him strictly as I race, this is who I am, and I need to be the best. And that, it, that broadening, I think, has been, I think, in, in some ways, it made him a better racer definitely last year. Like, it just kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I, I'd, I'd agree with you. And and the, the other thing, slightly, um, slightly more tongue-in-cheek that I'd say about Amigo Green is, um some people laid laid landmines for themselves in the future without realizing it because there's a moment there's a moment where uh Jeff and andre Lotterer are shown um buddying around and uh if effectively it was andre's second or third race when they were filming that in formula e uh, so although he was 10 years older than Jev um at, or about seven years older rather um he he was effectively being tutored by his younger teammates uh, who knew a lot more than he did and so uh, obviously with Andre, there was the whole thing of him being too proud to admit that and having to having to eventually come round to it. And um, they then pan over to Antonio and he says, well, they're friends now, but you can't have two fast guys on a team and they and then remain friends. It just doesn't work like that.
1: Yeah, you're like, it's one of those statements that we like, yeah, at some point you're going to go somewhere or that's going to come back to you because it, it's such an obvious. It's such an obvious kind of um of response you know it was such an obvious like landmine that you you lay uh some of the yeah there's some parts of and and we go green that were very like uh the the tribute that is uh nelson pk senior's terrible parenting uh oh. was definitely one of it i was sitting there and uh my best friend beside me is just like did he just say that he i was like he never came to a race or he like didn't come to like the championship thing when he was like right there i was like cool that's gonna go down like super well like okay but there was just some bits like a bit like that through it
0: yeah um S-Sosky, i feel like we've covered so much <laughs> um is is there is there anything that uh, you feel disappointed that we haven't talked about this evening
1: no i mean i feel like i should have come with a warning that was like we'll answer all of your questions in depth and talks a lot <laughs> Uh, which makes me both a good and awful podcast guest. Um, Oh,
0: no, don't worry, because uh, actually it makes me think of... um... Uh, the um, the uh, motorsport artist Haley Mukahi who came on and she was absolutely fantastic. But um, uh, she she very similarly to you didn't require much hard work from me because uh, <laughs> she had so many ideas that um, that a- actually the show was much more interesting than I intended it to be and went on for much longer as well. So I, I, I'm ha- I'm, yeah. it, it, it's it's a happy accident when that happens.
1: I had to learn when I when I was doing that that show that i was like your job is to ask the questions and then shut up and so i would just sit there and be like uh-huh yep and just being like you're just you're asking the questions like well i got to an interview an astronaut at one point and i just was like okay that you just you just gotta keep it on track okay <laughs> just keep it on track
0: let's let's do well, this right. that's that, that's one reason why uh, now you've mentioned Nikki Shields has a podcast. I'm going to go and find it because uh, yes. I'm I, I'm intrigued to know what she's like as a person because uh, when she speaks to the drivers, she seems to have so much more that she would like to say, but uh, they're short interviews, so she can't.
1: I think she's... Personally, I'm a big fan because she wears sneakers all the time. Hmm. Like, And I, I am like, yes. Because trying to run around anywhere in heels or flats is just a nightmare and you're like I need to look cute but also this is practical and I just every time I'm like yes that's right you wear those sneakers with that dress and that jumpsuit I'm all about this like that's what I notice. I'm I, I noticed the like solid yellow fashion theme she's got going on at the moment it's very good um but she seems like I, I really quite enjoy her as a um as a broadcaster uh, I mean I enjoy to be fair, that, that whole crew, they're definitely um, one of my um, my favorite kind of like uh, broadcast groups because it's not too old English white guys. I mean, 50 hmm. 50. <laughs> Depends where we draw like several of those distinctions. Um, well, but, but I think the- they're great and I think she's wonderful. So I would love to obviously hear her more. It, she is great in her podcast. You know, um, I know she spoke to Alex Lynn the other week, which uh, was kind of funny because like she's very enthusiastic and he's very english Mm -hmm. um and so there was some interesting kind of uh stuff from that that we did get asked whether he preferred beyonce or dolly parton as part of something and i don't (laughs) know if he actually really knew who dolly parton was so yeah but it's a good it's a good lesson it's a good lesson
0: a final bit of housekeeping um if if you're interested in any of the uh uh, podcasts that we've been putting up in the past week uh on motion e the uh, the berlin watch podcasts or uh, feel free to listen back through the archive there's loads of e-talking podcasts on uh, your favorite audio platform um also you can go to motione.org and there's plenty of written content and you can also access the podcast through that and if that's not enough We have a Patreon, or I have a Patreon, so go to patreon.com forward slash motioneorg, all one word, and um, for as little as $1 a month, or I believe your favourite currency, because they've uh, changed it now so you can also do it in pounds and euros, you can uh, find a weekly newsletter and um, interviews, uh, full audio, as uh, pretty much as soon as they're done. So uh, there's all that great stuff. And um, there'll be more Berlin Watch on Wednesday when Aurora Del Alley is back on. Um, so looking forward to that.